I think slow living is about having grace and being patient with yourself and just living in the moment and doing what you can. I also think one of the things I feel even more strongly about than I did before is that slow living is about creating space in your life. You're listening to the Good Dirt Podcast. This is a place where we dig into the nitty gritty of sustainable living through food, fashion, and lifestyle. And we're your hosts, Mary and Emma Kingsley, the mother and daughter founder team of Lady Farmer. We're sowing seeds of slow living through our community platform, events, and online marketplace. We started this podcast as a means to share the wealth of information and quality conversations that we're having in our world as we dream up and deliver ways for each of us to live into the new paradigm, one that is regenerative, balanced, and whole. We want to put the microphone in front of the voices that need to be heard the most right now. The farmers, the dreamers, the designers, and the doers. So come cultivate a better world with us. We're so glad you're here. Now, let's dig in. Welcome to the Good Dirt Podcast. I have a story for you, Mom. (laughs) Would you like to hear it? Yeah. Yeah. I like stories. I, I really do. Okay. So this is the story of my walk yesterday. Okay. So usually every day I try to take my dog on a walk. Doesn't happen every day. Um, most days it does. Particularly yesterday. Yeah. If you guys are in the mid-Atlantic, then you understand the sort of crazy weather we've been having where it's beautiful, feels like summer, and then the next day feels like the depressing depths of winter. Anyways, took Nellie, my dog down and we walked down through my neighborhood to get to a trail and right before we got to the trail I was noticing these beautiful what are those beautiful purple things that are coming up do you know what those are oh I I think it's woodland flocks yes that's what it is yes so I was looking at them and Nellie was sniffing over the edge of this area which looks down onto like a thoroughfare and I didn't notice anything but I thought oh vaguely kind of smells like fire um but whatever didn't notice so then Nellie and I continue on down the trail and then that's when I start hearing ambulances and sirens and I start noticing that the traffic is piling up and people are rerouting it's confusing because I'm in the woods and there's a trail but it's really near like major roads and then I noticed there's a car on fire oh my gosh on the road down there yeah and Nellie knew what was going on before I did I was right above it before so crazy and then people were stopping on the trail to look and you couldn't really see much the car wasn't on fire anymore it was just smoking it was crazy so that's kind of weird right you don't see that every day yeah then we walked down, down, further into the trail. And then there's a part where we can go off trail, kind of into the woods where I can take her off leash. And um, so we get all the way to the edge of the river and she's really interested in these fishermen, obviously. So she goes up and I was trying to call her back. And then the guy turns around and he's holding this huge catfish. Uh, It's like two and a half, three feet long. It's like the biggest catfish I've ever seen. (laughs) So went up, he let me take a picture of it. They were obviously so excited, and I was excited. They let the catfish back. Yay. So it swam away happily. That was crazy to watch that happen. And then we keep walking and come to this fork in the woods, and there's this little sapling <laughs> with a package of sausages on it. <laughs> it was really weird. 
Oh, what was it hanging on a branch? Yeah, it was sausages hanging on a branch. Oh, like from the store? Yeah. Was it open? No. I mean, they were not good anymore. They'd obviously been out in the sun. Maybe someone had gone down there and just left a pack of sausages, but hanging on the tree branch. Yeah. Anyways. Sounds like an abandoned barbecue. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. So then we just kept walking and, you know, it's been so dark and cold for so long. And this is literally like the first warmest day we've had in months. Yeah. And so I think that something really energetically was happening. Anyways, we continued to have a wonderful, lovely walk. Nothing else. Super eventful. Um, but yeah, that was just like a little story. Kind of like, um, you know, the Odyssey, like Homer's Odyssey. Yeah. It was like we were coming upon these different events. Yeah. (laughs) And my dog was at the helm of all of it. Nellie was discovering things first. Yeah. Yeah. She was. Yeah. And this whole wooded area where I can take my dog is in DC. Like it's technically within city limits, but it feels like you're in the middle of nowhere. And then you just see random sausages on trees. So a couple of things. I have a couple of reactions. Um, First of all, the sausages on the trees. I have heard, you know, there's lots of pawpaw trees down there. Yeah. Just lots. All along the river, all along the canal path and everything. Um, The CNO canal path, for reference, which parallels the Potomac River. It's a big park just full of pawpaw trees. And I've heard that you can help pawpaws pollinate um so they'll actually grow their fruits in the fall by hanging meat on the branches what? <laughs> i've heard this but they weren't unwrapped i, no. I would have i would have thought someone knew that and was that's really funny pollinate pawpaws. <laughs> i've heard that that's a thing that's hilarious it attracts a certain um insect that yeah that pollinates the pawpaws Whoa. Yeah. And it's also interesting because there's so many pawpaw trees down there, but you don't find a lot of pawpaws. Right, right. They're kind of hard to find. Um, so I don't know if the animals get them or they're actually, you know, they're they're not well pollinated, which, you know, somebody might be trying to do that down there. <laughs> I don't know. But they were still wrapped in plastic. Yeah, they were like in the, it was like a package of sausages. That doesn't it. quite add up. <laughs> but. But that's funny. That's a very funny almost. The other thing about your story is that big giant catfish. How long did you say it was? I mean, two and a half, three feet. No. It was like this big. Okay, so this reminds me of that fairy story. Do you remember the fisherman that went and caught a giant fish and the fish talked to him? Yeah, yeah. I think it's called the fishwife. And the fish asked him, please let me go. I'll grant you Mm -hmm. three wishes if you let me go. Mm Mm-hmm. And so the man let him go, and he went home, and he told his wife about the three wishes. And his wife first, they were really poor and lived in this little shack, and she asked for a, a bigger house. And so she had all these nice things in a bigger house. And then she decided she wanted more, so she took up the second wish, and you know where this is going. And then the oh, third yeah. wish, and then, um, gosh, I forget what happened. Something bad happened. <laughs> oh, yeah, something like. It, it all got taken away. Yeah. She was she too greedy. more and more and more. Yeah. And the, and the fish was so wise and knew all along. The fish knew that they were going to yeah. take advantage. I have to link that story in the show notes. Yeah, so we'll find it. I don't it mean to and we'll leave everyone it. in suspense. Um, <laughs> on the edge of your seat. But I also, I, don't, I sort of don't like it that it's all blamed on the wife. But yeah. Know, anyway. What's that about? <laughs> Anyways. We'll get it straight. 
So, so, um, so Homer's Odyssey, yeah, the tale of the fishwife, and Paw Paw pollinating. <laughs> really wow. interesting walk. So, um, yeah. So, first week of March. Yeah, it's my birthday tomorrow. <laughs> really. <laughs> Yes. Um, if, oh, yeah. I knew that. I knew it. <laughs> Y'all, I love my birthday so much. Even last year, I even got my own birthday episode because <laughs> <laughs> the podcast actually released on my birthday, which was exciting, and I turned 30. So there's that. Um, February was wonderful. We had the Slow Living Challenge. Mom, do you have any, you know, final thoughts or fun things to add about how your February was? How was your Slow Living Challenge? February has been very wintry, cold. During the challenge, we had several prompts that um, encouraged us to sort of be observant of, um, you know, how you're feeling, what you're thinking. It really made me aware of how weather can affect my mood. It's really Mm. in a really big way. A hundred percent. (laughs) Yeah. It makes sense why people live in California. (laughs) <laughs> no kidding. And, you know, at the beginning of the winter, you know, you're sort of, it's kind of cozy and you're, fun. You're cozy and you, you're ready to go in. It's and a little novel, too, because it's like. Yeah, kind of ready to hibernate a little yeah. bit. Be, you know, quiet down, all that. And it's all really wonderful stuff. But about this time of year, yeah. um, you're really it gets real old. ready for it to be over. Yeah. So <laughs> yesterday was really awesome. And. I, too, have been, like, just going on long walks. and So while the Soul Living Challenge is over, that was for the month of February, no worries because at Lady Farmer, every day is Slow Living Challenge Day. (laughs) Um, And we are constantly doing Slow Living Challenge adjacent things and activities and having beautiful conversations in the Almanac, which is our online membership community. Uh, We love seeing and hearing from all of you in there and we're sort of as you said beginning this slow transition into spring and we'll be shifting into a new season in the almanac so the almanac as you can probably guess is seasonal as we explore slow living through the seasons and every week there's fresh content whether it's an essay or an article or a recipe or uh, an activity a specific like guided activity or we do these monthly gatherings where we just hop on and check in with one another. It's great. Feels like a little, it's like a little friend group. Honestly, I love my almanac peeps listening. You know who you are. Yeah, we also do workshops. We have a book club this winter. We even formed a dream group because the theme of the season was dreams. So we got a little group. So we get together every week and talk about our dreams. I I love sewing and I love making things and uh, I don't do it often enough. And so I started doing this make along where I find a few patterns or things that I want to make and then I share them and we either you make what I'm making or you make whatever you want to make. It's very loose, open and accepting, but it's really fun to follow along with everyone's um, inspirations and their process. So that's another fun thing. So as you can tell, we've got lots going on in the Almanac. Yeah. And the Another really cool thing about it is that membership in the Almanac really supports this show. Uh, At this time, still, we're not working with any sponsors. We don't really get any outside funding for this show. So y'all's membership in the Almanac is a really huge part of what keeps it going. To join the Almanac, 
All you need to do is go to the website, click on community. It's also linked in our bio. Sign up. <laughs> You'll find it. It also really, if you're not signed up for a newsletter, that's a great place to get news and alerts and stuff like that. Particularly when we drop new podcast episodes or when we have new offerings. Join us there. And mom, do you want to go ahead and introduce the guest for today? I'm so excited about our guest. This is our second time having our friend Julia Watkins on The Good Dirt. First time was early in the pandemic after she'd published her first book, which was called Simply Living Well. And now we're having her back for a catch-up conversation about what's been going on in her world over the past two years and about her new book that's coming out called Gardening for Everyone. It comes out March 8th, which March is next 8th. week. And it's a really beautiful and really useful guide for beginning and experienced gardeners alike. And she's going to tell us why and how. And I know I can't wait to get my hands on this book for myself. Uh, we are also talking a ton about slow living, of course, especially during these continued strange times. We chat a lot about the vagaries of social media and how it fits into the work that we're all trying to do, our own gardening styles, and um, yeah. mom. <laughs> <laughs> With Julie and I commiserating that for whatever reason, we can't seem to plant things in tidy rows. Which is so sweet and funny and surprised <laughs> me about Julia. And she's like, I do not plant in straight rows. So that was fun. Yeah. Do you hear her chat about that? Anyways, this was such a fun conversation with our friend and fellow slow living enthusiast, Julia Watkins. We hope that you enjoy and we hope that you go pre-order the book as soon as you can. Yeah. So here's Julia. So have you been since we last talked to you and um, what's been going on? Gosh, well, it's been going on for two years now. I know. It's hard to sum up how it's been because (laughs) it's been kind of a roller coaster, right? Yeah. I feel like the beginning was so jarring and then we got a little break and now it's a little turbulent again, but I don't know. I don't remember life before the pandemic. What is normal life like? I think the beginning was the hardest for me because I was working and full-time parenting And I've done all of that at different stages. I've been a full-time stay-at-home mom. I've been a part-time worker. I've been a full-time worker, but I've never been all of those things at once. (laughs) And I think even all of those things individually is a lot in our society, the way we're organized, the way we don't really have a support system in place. And then to ask parents to do all of it at once, which is just crazy. And how old are your kids again? My kids are 10 and 13. Okay. In the beginning, they were homeschooling and they're pretty independent and self-sufficient, but not when it comes to being online and trying to navigate learning through all these portals that were new to all of us. Yeah. So I think it would have been really hard if I had really little kids that were completely dependent on me, mm-hmm. but it was still kind of hard because the online learning was really stressful for them and for me. Mm-hmm. And my husband was working at home too. So he was trying to figure out how to do Zoom calls and survive that world. And I was launching a book and then later on writing another book. Yeah, And that was weird because writing a book is really like a type of work that requires quiet and solitude and getting clear in your nervous system so you can actually think and write. And that was never possible. So this was a really interesting experience writing in like 30 minute increments between 
making breakfast, homeschooling, making lunch, homeschooling, taking the dog out. It really stretched me. Wow. (laughs) Creatively, emotionally, mentally. I'm sure everyone listening felt similarly, especially if they were parents, but. Yeah. So were your kids homeschooled like going into it or was that a decision that you made? Was that a change with the pandemic? And then are they still homeschooling? No, no. My kids are in school. Okay. But school was moved home during the early pandemic until really last spring they were home. Okay. And now they're in school and it's very organized. We're very lucky. They have not been pulled out of school. Like some of the schools in the city are kind of in limbo all the time. Ours has been steady, consistent, really organized. So we're lucky. We're a family that needs structure. Yeah. So not having structure was very disruptive, I think. (laughs) Yeah. So at this point in time, you said that your kids are back in school and that's feeling very organized. Is it feeling somewhat like I won't say normal, but like, is there kind of an equilibrium in general that you're feeling at the moment? Oh, yeah, I definitely do. I don't know if if it's been so long since it was the other way. Yeah. It just feels normal because it's good enough. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But but there's structure. For me, my daughter's like this and I'm like this. We need a lot of structure. Yeah. And I actually think it's not because we're type A. It's it's because we're kind of creative. Mm -hmm. And I think creative people do really well when there's structure because then they can can just relax, which Mm -hmm. is so important to be creative. Yeah. Supposedly you can't really get into a creative space unless you feel relaxed. Mm -hmm. But once I have a structure in place and I know that like the nuts and bolts of life are taken care of, I can really go into a place where I feel creative and that's where I want to be all the time. Totally. I feel like I have that right now in my life because my kids have their schedules and they've been healthy and the schools have been organized. And so I think we all can rely on that to support us and then do all the things that we really enjoy doing. Yeah. Yeah. That's such an interesting observation because if you are a creative person, it's very stressful to try to figure out what you need to be doing next or, you know, how to organize your day. I know that from my own experience. I have a book I want to work on or some project or something. Yeah, you get super overwhelmed with all the other things that need to be done and having a set-aside structured time for that is so helpful. And post-structure is helpful for the creative mind. I mean, I guess that's something I knew but never really framed it that way. Yeah, because I think you just have so much bandwidth, right? And maybe this is why I like simple living and slow living too because I don't like to spend a lot of bandwidth on organizing my house and organizing my life and organizing my children's life. I like to have that taken care of Mm -hmm. and sort of moving seamlessly and like a well-oiled machine so that I can spend the rest of my bandwidth in a creative space because that's where I want to (laughs) be. I feel selfish about it actually, how much I want it and need it. And I also just like how I feel because I feel more flexible and free and lighter to be around if I know those things are taken care of. And I think children are that way too. Supposedly they do well with structure. And I think maybe I'm just like a a (laughs) five-year-old, 45-year-old's body. (laughs) Yeah, no, I don't think that's selfish at all. I think that makes so much sense. And it's actually so generous because I think about this a lot. It's actually like the work up front, as you were saying, to put in that structure and that organization is a lot of work. And even though the payoff feels so that it ultimately less work, sort of this like front end forward thinking way of existing in the world that whether or not it's simple, I think no matter how much stuff you have, it's easier if you have less stuff. And I mean stuff as in material things, Mm -hmm. things in your calendar. It's definitely easier if those things are simple. 
but it takes a type of work that is, it's work. And I think it's similar when we look to be more zero waste, earth friendly. It's not convenient, but once you have those things set up, it makes your life so much easier and better and in a way convenient. Yeah, I'm thinking of the very concrete example of the clothing. Like if you can pare down your clothes to just what you need and less choices and all that. That alone is a big life simplification. And to your point, Julia, instead of like dealing with piles of laundry all the time and trying to organize things and put them away, if there are fewer things, Mm -hmm. then you have more creative time. That's just a real basic example that I I, I'm still working on that in my life, paring down the clothes. and yeah. But my point is you said it's selfish and I think it's the opposite. I think it's a very generous way of being because it takes work, but it's good work. Yeah. It's not selfish. That came out of my mouth. (laughs) You're a better mom. You're a better person. You're able to give more of yourself if those things are taken care of and they're not fun. So it's better if you can spend your energy on things that are fun and bring you joy. Yeah. That's what I was trying to say too. It's it's not fun. I think I said that because I really like. Yeah. Because you like it that way. Yeah. <laughs> but that's because you're a generous mom and a generous person. And, you know, if you're peaceful and happy and feeling ease in your day, that benefits everybody in the household 100%. Yeah. I always say all kids want is happy parents. Yeah. I mean, I don't know why we don't tell mothers that from the very beginning because there's just so much pressure to give, give, give all the time. I think it's important, but I just remember always wanting my parents to feel fulfilled. Like I just wanted them to feel fulfilled socially, emotionally, professionally. I felt like the more fulfilled they were, the happier I could be. That sounds codependent, but that's not. It's just, I think children do carry the burden of their parents. Yes. Sort of troubles, you know? So if, I think you're giving a lot to your children when you meet your needs and yeah. not just meet your needs, go well beyond that and just like fill yourself up with things that make you inspired and joyful and light yeah. and fun and silly and whatever, you know, just be light because kids need that. I think they carry a lot of your stuff, right? That intergenerational yeah. stuff gets carried on for a long time. So true. So true. And they might not even be conscious of what it is they're observing, but you use the word, you wanted to see your parents fulfilled. Mm-hmm. A much younger child might not even really understand exactly what that means, but they can see and sense a type of peacefulness and satisfaction in the day-to-day life with their parent, I'm sure. So yeah, that's really interesting. And I think that probably translates too into your work and your writing and your work online because what you're putting out is so light and physically and I guess like energetically, like when Mm -hmm. you're looking at the work that you're producing and the pictures and the recipe. It's just so simple and clean and feels so good to like look at. And I'm wondering Yeah, visually peaceful. Yeah. We chatted a lot about that in our last conversation with you. So people listening can definitely go back and tune in on that. But I'm wondering how if you've noticed any shifts in sort of your audience and what they're responding to. And it's been almost two years since we talked. So yeah, going on two years. Yeah, so I'm, and and the kinds of things that you're feeling drawn to and what you're enjoying creatively producing and sort of in that realm. And if that spills into the book talk too, yeah. that's okay. Yeah, however you want to take <laughs> that. <laughs> and, it happens. and how do you think the pandemic has played into the evolution of your audience and your work? This is such a great question. And I wish you had a panel because I'd love to hear what other yeah. people have to yeah. say. It's something I'm really curious about. And it's kind of mysterious. You can't really read other people because you can't see them. 
Mm-hmm. This kind of work is such a guessing game yeah. because you also have to factor in Instagram, the algorithm, how I that know. works. And that's a mystery that you don't have the full picture to judge and figure out what's going on. So you end up guessing. And I think that's kind of dangerous. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Or talking to other people and trying to figure it out. I wish I talked to more people and could hear what other people think. But I think early on, what I noticed in the pandemic is that people's interest in sustainability dropped off very quickly. And I think about it, and it makes total sense, because you have to be in a place in your life where all of your needs are met to be able to think long term, which Mm -hmm. is what sustainability is all about. It's one of the problems with development in poorer countries, expecting people in agricultural communities to think about the environmental ramifications of deforestation or whatever. It's really not fair, because they're just trying to meet their basic needs and get from today to tomorrow. So Mm -hmm. They're not in a position to think about what's going to happen in 20 to 30 years. And I think during the pandemic, people were so stressed and so taxed that they really couldn't think about what was going to happen in a week or two weeks. They were worried about childcare or keeping their jobs or staying healthy. And so interest in zero waste or Mm -hmm. slow fashion, it just dropped off and it made sense. I don't know what it was replaced by. I think gardening peaked during that time because it was hard to get seeds. And I know... A lot of companies ran out of seeds and there were a lot of articles online about the gardening, slow gardening movement, backyard gardening movement, just having a boom. I think that was a big shift on Instagram for a while. And then things just got really quiet for a long time. I don't know if other people felt that way, mm-hmm. but it was hard to put out content because you didn't want to be tone deaf yeah. and like put out something about making soap when people were just dying. No one has time <laughs> to make soap and barely feed their families because yeah. they're working and Zooming and like with a child in their lap and everyone Mm -hmm. was stretched so thin. You didn't really know what to put out. So a lot of people got really quiet Mm -hmm. on both ends. And then I think people got quiet on the other end because I sort of think we might be in a stage of just content fatigue. Mm, Yeah, We're taken in so much. We've seen Mm -hmm. so much. Nothing looks new anymore. Everything looks maybe a little too curated Mm -hmm. and it's not relatable. And I don't know. I think people are just tired. I think, I don't think it's just the algorithm. I think it could be. I think the algorithm definitely favors reels because Instagram is just changing a lot. And Mm -hmm. at least for me, I've been kind of reluctant to go there because that's not really who I am. And I just want to share photos because I like taking photos. Mm -hmm. And reels is just such a different type of content that doesn't feel that true to me, but maybe Mm -hmm. it will at some point. So things just have gotten kind of quiet lately. What I think is really popular on Instagram is interiors. I don't do interiors really, but I notice when I zoom out is that people are really into like looking at a big picture of a room and seeing how it's been remodeled or rehabbed or mm-hmm. redecorated. And I think it makes sense because we've all been home for so long right? we're sick of our <laughs> kitchens and our bathrooms and we're sick <laughs> of looking at our houses. So we're so happy to look at yours. Yeah. <laughs> And it's light. It's light, right? Mm -hmm. It's not political. It's not about the economy. It's light. We're not being asked to make anything or do anything. We just have to look at a pretty picture and like it because it makes us feel good, especially if it's pretty. I think that's where we are right now. But I I don't know because I don't follow that many accounts. Yeah. I don't follow that many different types of accounts. But I think what does well in the accounts that I follow are are interiors. (laughs) Yeah. I think what's something that's really special about 
you and the work that you're doing is, and it's obvious that you don't, you kind of don't play into the, like, I don't think you're that concerned either about necessarily what's like performing well or algorithm. You just sort of do what makes you feel good. And that like translates so well. Um, And so people are so drawn to it because it's just coming from such a genuine place. And you said in our last conversation that it's coming from a place of you just generally want to help people and like make people understand how easy it is and share recipes and things. And um, the point is, it's just so lasting from what I can yeah. see. Well, timeless, I guess. Yeah, that's the word. Oh, that's so nice. Thank you. <laughs> I definitely don't plan out my content. Yeah. I didn't know people did that really. Yeah. And, and, and then I've heard people say that they planned it out like for a month. thought <laughs> Mine is kind of all over the place in part because it's very much what I'm really doing. In yeah. My life. So one day I might post gardening and the next day you might get whiplash because all of a sudden I'm making soap or something, but it's just because I try to stay true to what I'm doing, but then take pretty pictures of it. Right. It's not created for your consumption. It's created just to share. Yeah. yeah. It's created as an outlet for you. Selfish. Right. I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> <That's> so selfish. <laughs> Are you posting what you want? (laughs) I I thought about going off of Instagram for a while because I thought maybe it's time for me to do something different. And then I work with my husband for Look Far and I love the work because I do storytelling Mm -hmm. and I get to find out about the work that people are doing in the field. And they're these small organizations doing amazing things, but it's not enough for me. It's not an outlet for my creativity, I Mm -hmm. realized. I realize I kind of need Instagram. I'm getting a lot from it because I have a place to just like share it. Yeah. Yeah. Keeps me inspired. Yeah. Much as I complain about it, I'm benefiting from it in some way. (laughs) Or do you feel that way too? I do. At my age, you know, I should be thinking about retirement, you know? So I sort of have this rule that I'll do things that inspire me and keep me moving creatively. But when it gets to where it feels very stressful or annoying or what, I tend to not do those things. I <laughs> yeah, let someone else do them, yet the younger people do it or, or whatever. But yeah, it's just kind mm-hmm. of my, my own little guideline. Like if it's inspiring to me and it, it's pushing me creatively and then I'm all there. Yeah, I think it's a little harder when, like in our case, there's just so many things that we're like yeah. promoting and like talking about at various times. And so it can definitely feel, I think that naturally the platform has evolved to, it's a marketing platform, you know, it's really, that's what it's for. I think that that gets old. <laughs> it feels like you're selling something. What's so lovely about your stuff is like, you're really not selling anything. You're just sharing. Well, it's, I think that's lucky. Yeah. What I'm doing makes absolutely no sense. <laughs> On Instagram, I'm really like, I'm not trying to get products. Yeah. I'm not making money off of products. Yeah. I'm really like working for free most of the time. Yeah. I don't feel like I am completely. I am going to have to sell a book soon, but, <laughs> but for the most, for two years at a time, I'm not making any money or anything. Right. Before we get into your book, we want to hear all about that. I'm just curious. My next question to you is, of the content that you have been putting out in the last two years during this whole COVID era, what have you seen people responding to? Yeah. What have been the big things that people are getting from you they love? I think sometimes I don't feel like there is a lot on the other side, mm-hmm. oh. to be very honest, because I think early on, I grew so quickly and there was so ex- much excitement about what I was doing because I was very zero waste and zero waste was very trendy then. Mm-hmm. I got used to being flooded with response, just response. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Energy. 
And that was like my introduction in it. And then it really slowed down after the pandemic. Mm-hmm. It's not a bad thing, but I also shifted my content because I just enjoyed sharing more about like the full spectrum of slow living, which is just mm-hmm. like a little less um, trendy, a little less of one thing. Mm-hmm. And it's just a slower, more gentle type of sharing. Mm-hmm. So things slowed down on my account. I think people have always been excited about simple things that you can make. Mm-hmm. I always notice sometimes I'll share something really complicated and I'll think it's so cool and no one responds. Hmm. Then I'll share something so simple that you can make. And I think because people feel like, oh, I can do that. Mm, Yeah. I can make no need artisan bread. Mm -hmm. That's no problem. And I know that I'll actually use it as opposed to like that, you know, mending kit that you made or whatever. (laughs) I know I'll eat the bread. Things that people can do easily Mm -hmm. and that a lot of people can do and that they'll use usually Mm -hmm. I think do really well and I think also something that I'm not as good at anymore is but I do do sometimes I think really showing up as your full self with your personality I think that does very well yeah and I see that doing well on other people's pages sometimes I just want to be shy and not put myself out there too much I just sort of like want to protect my energy and and just share mm-hmm. or it's not just protect my energy but just like not be vulnerable yeah just be shy sometimes I just need to be shy yeah but I still want to connect if that makes any sense. And so I'll just put something really light out, just a quick little one sentence, one liner. But when you show up and really show your personality, I think people come back to you, not by being like overly vulnerable, Mm -hmm. because I Uh think that can happen too. And people do like that. But just like showing people who you really are, it invites people to come to you. Isn't that amazing how that works? Yeah. Because then there's a person and a story behind the images. And yeah, And I think it gives the audience or the person on the other side, like permission to be who they are. And like, that feels really good. So I just love that aspect of it. Humans love stories. I know. And they love. They do. Just knowing about other people. I mean, that's why, you know, that's why Netflix is so big. (laughs) Yeah. That's why this podcast is so fun. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I know, like sit down and really talk to people. And a couple of the accounts I follow that I find that I get really excited about are the ones where the people get on and they show up and they haven't brushed their hair Mm -hmm. and they look like how you look. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they, they don't look like they put on a really nice dress to go gardening. They look like yeah. they're really gardening the way we garden and they're making something and it's real. And you know, you're at home alone, you're kind of lonely, but you feel like, oh, this person really shows up. And I feel like I would be friends with them in real life. And mm-hmm. <laughs> they're not putting on a show at all. And they're not trying to sell me anything. I just really like them. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I also haven't brushed my hair. And so it's just like very appealing to me. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yes. You know what I mean? (laughs) It's like you're FaceTiming with a friend. Yeah, it's very likable. The other day I was (laughs) trying to share some slides about some sock mending I'd been doing and I'm not very good at it. And the stitches looked terrible. And also the socks were stained, you know, because they've been out in the... Oh, yeah. And I was like, ew, you know, I need to explain to them that I did wash those socks and, you know, (laughs) and the, the stitches looked all terrible and everything. And then I thought, no, I'm just... This is it. This is my, these are my stained socks and these are my crummy stitches. And here you go. So <laughs> you That's have so refreshing <laughs> you have to get over, oh gosh, the perfectionism of the Pinterest and, you know, like things on Pinterest are so curated and beautiful. And then, you know, 
Instagram, I think, has gotten a little less so. But oh my goodness, TikTok is like the opposite. TikTok's like uncurated. Have you been on TikTok at all? Julia? Mary, are you on TikTok? <laughs> I am not. I just show her TikTok. <laughs> Emma says, look at this mom. Say. And she's like, what's even happening? <laughs> no. I cannot TikTok. It's no, it's just the vibe funny. is like totally like, no. It's hilarious. But it's too Emma, much, but it's very funny. Emma likes it. I think it's funny. I think it's a lot funnier than Instagram, at least the TikTok that I'm on. And I think it's, I think you'd be a little more creative which I appreciate on TikTok. Oh, okay. I haven't really <laughs> been on TikTok. I see the things people share on Instagram for TikTok, yeah. but I have a friend who's on there and I, I did look at her account. She's really funny. I feel like a lot of yeah. funny people are on there. Yeah. yeah. It looks very complicated. Yeah. There's so many scenes and I, I don't know how to do it at all, but it's a little like jarring for my nervous yeah. system. I feel like I've been beat up. <laughs> it's going, Whoa. No, like I, I agree. Like, what are no, all those, what are all those crazy voices and stuff? Like, you know, I just, I don't get it. Like, I think, I feel like a lot of it goes over my head and I don't want to take the time to try to absorb it, but yeah, it's certainly, it's not the platform for perfectionists for sure. Right. It's the opposite. <laughs> yeah. oh, well, that's kind of nice. Yeah. It? Yeah. What do you guys think? Is Instagram over <laughs> or do you think it's just having a, like a growth spurt. I think it's changing. It's maturing, evolving. I think it's, I was just talking to another friend about this the other day. And for anyone who like creates for Instagram or is like really on Instagram and relies on it in some way, it can be very frustrating because it is changing all the time. Right. But I think once you accept the change and you accept where it's going, which is it's a marketplace platform. It is for advertisers. It is for consumers. And you can play whatever role you want to play in that, but just understand that that's what's happening. And even if you got used to it one way in the past or whatever, and yeah. I don't think there's anything like inherently wrong with that. In many ways, I appreciate targeted ads because they're showing me things that I like mm-hmm. as opposed to like car, you know, like things that I wouldn't necessarily be interested in. So I think that, yes, it is changing. I wouldn't say it's over. And I do think that, like, the antidote to, like, just not being completely frustrated and mad at it all the time is just, like, accepting. Accepting. (laughs) So Buddhist. It is what it is. (laughs) Yeah. I feel like just in the five years since I've been on it with Lady Farmer that it's become much more of an advertising platform. It was always an advertising platform, but I believe in the beginning it was a person-to-person sharing. And I think why have we come to expect free advertising for right. our businesses? I mean, that's an impossible situation. And like you were saying with content overload, why have we come to expect free content is another yeah. thing. It's right. like these people right. are working really hard yeah. to put out really good stuff. And it's just like there's been this expectation created that it's just – free yeah like you shouldn't have to pay for any of that and that's a whole like other discussion I agree Mm -hmm. I mean we could go down a whole rabbit hole with this but yeah yeah, I think the name of the game with dealing with Instagram is expectation and you can never expect any something that worked one month Mm -hmm. is not going to work the next month yeah it's all over the place you're right it is and you just have to go with it and not get upset 
you know, like, oh, this thing, I didn't get any reaction to this. And like, you know, this is the thing that usually brings all this, you know, it's not working that way. And you seem so cool and even Mm -hmm. killed about it. Have you ever been in a place where you like care more about it and you've had to like reel back? Well, I'm really careful about how I use it because I, I don't look at insights at all. Okay. Okay. I'll tell you some things I do because I use it in the old timey way. Mm -hmm. And I think I probably will keep doing that. But a few rules I have for myself some that I don't follow, but I'll tell you the ones I don't follow. One is I I never look at insights. I think I've looked at insights twice ever in four years. And the times I did, I could just tell that it was not going to be a good thing for me to do. Mm. I never look at how many people unfollow a post. I've done that maybe five times and it was just, it killed my creativity. So I said, you know, not going to do that anymore. As soon as they allowed you to hide the likes, got rid of that. So I never look at that because then I, I'm too type A. So I was like, it's too much of a grade. It feels yeah. like going in and taking a yeah. test. I stopped posting on the grid for a while because I was like, in stories, I can just create for the sake of creating. Mm-hmm. And I'm not getting a grade. I'm not getting feedback. I would rather just not have any feedback than mm-hmm. have it be like graded. So I hide that I, and I never go look at what the result is like after a day or two. I try not to like, compare and go and look at other people's stuff. I also just try to support everyone I follow. I don't see all of their content, but just like I try to make it a place that feels like community and not competition. So just like support people's work because I know how sensitive everyone has become about it. So just support them, you know? Yeah. And also my other thing that I don't follow is I don't look at Instagram at night. I try Mm. not to because something weird happens at night. I don't know. The ghoulies come For out. For me, I think the I'm Instagram ghoulies. I think it's the content's not as good. It starts showing you stuff that you don't really want to see because you've already mm-hmm. seen the things you want to see. It starts showing a lot of the TikTok stuff, Mary, that I don't want to see, like people dancing. I don't yeah. know why. I just don't really want to see all that. That's the weird voices. What I like to consume. Yeah. And then also I'm tired and probably a little more sensitive and insecure and it's just not a healthy place for me to be at night it's like it's like smart it's like going down an alley at night so I try not to look (laughs) after five o'clock and then I'll if I look at it at night I'll be like I hate Instagram I need to quit this is a really dark (laughs) and then I'll wake up in the morning and I'll see some cute mom with her coffee cup and I'll be like this is such a sweet place (laughs) do you know what I mean yeah just don't go at night don't go <laughs> creeping down alleys. <laughs> the stuff they show you is just oh, very good advice. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. So we're so excited about your new book. I love the title. Can you tell us a little bit about it and sort of how it came about and what it's been like creating it? So this book was kind of not an accident, but it's, it wasn't planned. Okay. I, when I interviewed with my publisher for my first book, I told them I had three books in mind, mm-hmm. one for the home, one for the garden, one for children. And so they, they knew that I had that in mind. But when I put out my first book, I had no plans to write the gardening book for a long time. I didn't have any plans to write it. Mm-hmm. There's a huge market for a gardening book. This is the time to do it. But I was, I think that was in October of 2020. My kids were home, homeschooling. I really was like, I don't know how I'm going to get dinner on the table. I have no idea how I can write a book for you. Yeah. But let me think about it. So then I went home. I went to the library, of course, checked out like 20 books, looked at all of them just to 
think about what a gardening book looks like and what mine would look like and to think about how hard it would be to write one. And then I wrote out an outline and I realized it's a very simple outline, you know, like Mm -hmm. gardening is very methodical. You plan your garden, you build your garden, you plant your garden, you tend it, you harvest it, Mm -hmm. right? It's very simple. So I told you I like structure. So once I could see the structure on paper, I thought, okay, I can write the nuts and bolts pretty quickly or pretty easily. But then I wanted to make it kind of a me book too. So I threw in a playing section. So after you've tended and harvested, you should play in your garden too. You should enjoy it in the way that I enjoy things by creating things from your garden. So there's a really cute section that sort of looks more like my first book with lots of recipes and tutorials. I think they're 24 for, you know, building a bean teepee with your kids or building a sunflower house or cooking and baking with edible flowers, that kind of thing, making edible flower lollipops, things like that. So that is how you play is you make things. It's really geared towards how to get children into the garden, how to raise children who love to garden. And the idea is that when they see you in the garden and you invite them to do fun things in the garden, they grow up learning about this world that brings you so much joy. And hopefully they'll grow up and want to do something similar mm-hmm. when they're older. But it's also friendly to anyone, even if they don't have children. Like you would want to make these things too, you know, yeah. like herbal soup reeds. You don't need children to do that. Yeah. A lot of women would love to do that. And so it's a thick book. It's definitely more of a reference book. It's not the kind of book you sit down and read all at once. And the idea for me was that when you're planning the garden, you read the planning section. When you're tending, you read the tending section. When you want to have some activities or something to do with the wildflowers, you go to the playing section. And then there's a plant profile section. So when you're planning your garden, you can go look up each crop And it tells you like when to plant it, how much sun it needs, how to sow it. Because some plants need to be sown indoors. Some need to be transplanted. Some you can just sow directly. So it's definitely a reference book. I think it was called like an encyclopedic kind of gardening book by Publishers Weekly. Oh, that's great. Oh, I can't wait to get yeah. my hands oh, on it. That sounds wonderful. It looks so beautiful there. Thank you. So do you feel that way about this book with the, like, can you look through it? Like, do you feel like, what? what's the difference? It's This is your second child. How is it? <laughs> I actually really like the photos in this book because I think I grew a lot as a photographer between the first book and the second book. So I'm really happy with them. I love the printing of the cover, the printing quality. I was really careful to tell my publisher that I wanted it printed with this quality. This, yeah. I don't even know what it's called, but it's it's a matte and it's just a higher quality. Do you think you'll use it yourself? Yes, I use it all the time. Good. I use the plant profiles for planning. I think what's important, and I told someone else this, I have a friend writing a book. I was like, write it for yourself. Write yeah. a book that you can live with and that you can be happy with. Because at the end of the day, that is the only emotion that's going to come with you. (laughs) It's true. Do you feel proud of your work? Is it who you are? Is it up to your standards? Don't worry about your publisher and your audience. Just create your work. Because I think at the end of the day, that's what matters the most. Yeah. What is your favorite thing about this book? I think the playing section. Oh, yeah. I haven't seen it yet, but I think that's my favorite section too. (laughs) I think it's different than other gardening books because you're not going to find that in another gardening book, but you will find information about how to harvest or how to deadhead flowers or how to build a, a raised bed. 
Yeah. But you're not going to go through a standard gardening book and see how to make herbal savory crackers or whatever. Yeah. The bean teepee, which I've tried and failed, and also the sunflower house, which I have tried and didn't work. So I can't wait to see what you did and follow your advice because both of those things I would like in my garden. This is your year, Mary. This is my year. And I was going to ask you about your gardening style. I can tell like, you know, you plan, you're very organized. I I struggle with that. My garden tends to be very kind of wild and crazy. Laissez-faire, I guess you would call it. But I want to bring more discipline to it so that I can enjoy. There needs to be a balance for me. So I'm really looking forward to your book. I, I really am. So I just want to say that's my favorite gardening style. So really? I, I actually, I plan my garden, but I don't follow the plan. Uh-huh. Oh, okay. <laughs> my gardening style is not left brain. I laugh every year. I make this plan for my garden, yes. which just kind of like helps me figure out what seeds to buy. Right. I never go with the plan. I go out there with my plants and I just start planting them. <gasps> that's me. And I'm like, I didn't put anything where I thought I was going to put it. And I kind of like need to do it in this very, like I'm building it. You know, Mm -hmm. and I'm rearranging it. I edit it. I definitely edit everything. I'll plant something, I'll dig it up and put it somewhere else. I add lots of flowers. I'm always changing it and moving it around. And it's so therapeutic for me to just play with it. Mm -hmm. I don't grow because I want a lot of produce, which is why my grandparents grew. I grow because of the whole process. I'm way more into the like actual doing it than producing anything. Which I'm guessing, Mary, you're kind of like that too. Absolutely. Artistic. Well, we even belong to a CSA. So I've got plenty of produce. I don't depend on the produce. But to me, it's like a big painting. Like I've always wanted to be a painter, but I've never really gotten there. But to me, a garden is a painting. And, you know, because you're establishing colors and design and lines here and there. And you can move things around. And, oh, I I want a little red here or blue here. And it just feels like that to me all season long. And then you even, like, visualize how you want it to look the next year. Next year, I'm going to plant these things in the middle of that. You know, and that's exactly how I garden. It's fun. I've never been able to plant in rows. Same here. And they're never like a row of vegetables cannot. or something. <laughs> what is that? I cannot do that to save my life. I can sometimes do a row of like carrots on the border, but then it's in a bed with like 25 other things. <laughs> yeah. And I so really fun. like things mixed up. Yes. I like how it looks. No, I had a post on my Instagram that said minimalist in the house, maximalist in the garden. <laughs> That's good. And it's so true about me. My garden is much, I think it looks neat because I have gravel between the rows of the beds and the beds can really make a garden look neat. Like the actual frames of the bed. I think the frame and structure of the garden are clean and neat, but then within the beds, they do not look like old-fashioned row gardens at all. And I love wild gardens. I don't know if you follow or ever followed Alice Fowler. She had a show on the BBC called The Edible Garden. She's English, so she's like very lovely to listen to, but her gardens were always very creative and artistic and a little wild. Yeah. And I love them. You would love to watch those shows. Oh, I will look her up. And, and, you know, the more we're learning about the biodiversity and soil and the biodome and all that, the diversity is what we need to fertilize the soil, the good dirt. Yep. And when we do the kind of traditional way or the more, I don't know, the more conventional way of gardening where everything is in one place, that's where you run into trouble with bugs and stuff and yeah. more trouble, you know, the, the whole monoculture idea. So, yeah, there is something to be said for this and doing it closer to the way like nature does it. Yeah. I'm sure you've heard about the whole rewilding movement. (laughs) 
Oh, uh, yes. That's a whole nother yeah. rabbit hole, but I kind of laugh about my garden. Hey, it looks like I'm trying to rewild this out here, but <laughs> needs to be a little more disciplined. But anyway, every year is different, and I really look forward to seeing your book and getting some hints from it. Yeah, so what are you doing right now to get ready for your garden? Well, I should probably tell people I live in Chicago, which is oh, zone yeah. five. So my last frost date is supposedly May 2nd, but I don't believe that. I think it'll be more like May 15th (laughs) because May 2nd is pretty early for us. Yeah. So I always start too soon and then my plants are too big and they're kind of growing out of their containers. So I've tried to contain myself this year. So let's see, right now I've planned my garden in quotes, air quotes. I've drawn out the beds. I've ordered my seeds. I've ordered my starting soil for my seed starting mix and like my my little pots and my little coconut core pots that's all I've done right now I think I ordered some jute trellis last week so oh, fun. I've got everything I need but I probably won't start planting things in little pots to put under grow lights for another month and do you start all of your stuff from seed no I um I start really warm season vegetables from seed indoors because I just don't have enough time with the growing season here. It's, it's too short. I plant a lot from seed outside, mm-hmm. like all my lettuces, beets, carrots, corn, beans. And then I always buy transplants from the nursery. We have such a nice nursery here. I go crazy. <laughs> yeah. I really need a police officer to walk around with me and put handcuffs on me. It's such. Sometimes I go there every day because I just want to look. Yeah. <laughs> But I always end up buying something. So I have my garden here, which is nine beds. That's mostly vegetables, but I have all kinds of perennial flowers. And then I have a big butterfly garden. And it always kind of thins out every year and I have to fill it in. And then my front yard is all perennials now too and roses. So I have a lot going on. I have to buy a lot of plants. Yeah. (laughs) So I do a little bit of everything. How about you guys? So I do plant seeds and this fall I harvested a lot of my own seeds and I will plant them. I haven't bought any seeds yet. I probably will, but I'm really trying to hold off because I always overdo it. And then I I get super stressed out because I I don't want to waste the seeds. Yeah. I just find it really stressful. Then it turns the joy of putting in my spring gardening into like, it feels like a big giant push. So (laughs) yeah, we have a longer growing season than you, Julia. And it, it just turns into the weeks of like, just really like you're out there like every minute, you know, in the rain and the cold and, you know, just getting stuff in, getting stuff in and trying to pull that back a little and have it be a little more slow gardening, to tell you the truth. But I do end up buying plenty of starter plants because as you say, it's so much fun. I mean, who can pass up a great nursery and you get in there with your basket and oh my goodness, there are the things. They're already three inches up. It's so satisfying. (laughs) I know. I am so frugal and hesitant shopping for clothes or home goods or anything like that. I overthink it. I put it in my cart. I take it out of my cart Mm -hmm. to take me to a gardening center. And I have no self-constraint. Yeah. (laughs) I have a little, but not a lot. When things are just, you know, two or three dollars, it seems so innocent. And then, you know, you end up with 50 of them. So, you know. (laughs) And then... Then you get home and you have to plant them. And yeah, I'm curious how you address the different zones and stuff in your book. Yeah. Because gardening is so hard to like that is be universal about. Yeah, it really is. And also the United States uses hardiness zones, but other countries 
don't. So yeah. So that's trying to make your book universal for people in the UK and in Australia and New Zealand is a little tricky. The thing about hardiness zones is that they really only apply to perennials. So it's a little limiting when you say I'm from zone five, you're not necessarily saying when you can start to plant because when you start to plant depends on so many other things like Mm -hmm. your first and last frost date, which you can look up from anywhere in the world. Mm -hmm. It also depends on microclimates, which are not a huge deal where I live. But if you live out in San Francisco, you can literally turn a corner and be in a completely different microclimate. Mm -hmm. So the book talks about hardiness zones for maybe half a page because Mm -hmm. they're not really as important as you think they would be. Mm -hmm. They're important for when you're picking out perennials. So you're going to go buy a lavender plant. It's good to know that it's only hardy in zones. I think it's, I can't remember which zones it is, but I think it's six and up. Maybe it's five and up. Mm -hmm. So I live in zone five. If it's six and up, I shouldn't plant it if I'm expecting it to come back next year. For things like that, I think hardiness zones are really, really helpful. Otherwise, they're just sort of a way to indicate to other people in the United States. I live in a cold climate. I live in a warm climate. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. That's how I think of them at least because I'm not even buying that many perennials with my veggie garden. I'm buying mostly annuals or maybe occasionally a few perennials like rhubarb or, you know, strawberries, but that's not much. I don't have much of that. Otherwise, I think most of what I wrote about is so general that it could apply anywhere. Okay. It's funny. I'm not the biggest gardener. And so I feel kind of like an imposter sitting here in this gardening conversation. (laughs) I kind of want to be more of one. I'm excited about this book. For me, it just feels kind of intimidating. Yeah. Part of it is stage of life. And part yeah. of it is where you live. Being a model for urban, the urban lady farmer and what you can do in a city. <laughs> Just be the yeah. model urban lady farmer. <laughs> it like makes me not want to do it at all. I do address small space gardening because my okay. editor and my literary agent live in cities. They're in New York and London. And so they were really interested in knowing what they could do in a tiny little space. So I talk about container gardens and even windowsill gardening. And I definitely write the book for a beginner. I start from the very beginning. I think a really seasoned gardener will be like, yeah, I know most of this. But I think a beginner to an intermediate will learn something from the book or a lot. But when I lived in D.C. and I had a baby, I didn't really have time for a big garden. So we had two beds. And a lot of terracotta pots. Yeah. And it was just small, but I feel like that's how I learned to garden. I went very slowly. I did that for two to three years. Yeah. Added more beds. And then we moved to California and we had to learn how to garden in a slightly different climate. I still only had a few beds and my kids would just do square foot gardening. So I would divide the beds into squares. And I loved that because they could pick what they were going to put in each square. And then you could look up how many plants to put in each square. But you could just start with one bed and do square foot. And then they're so young. Just do start small and learn little by little. Yeah. By the time you're my age. (laughs) So old. (laughs) And Emma, you know, you'll be a pro. You don't have to start with a huge. Yeah, yeah. One thing at a time. Just start with one bed, a couple of pots. And also, she's being too modest, Julia. I'm sitting here. I'm looking at a shelf she has. with. Oh, I do have indoor plants. All these nice indoor plants and pots. Those are so lovely. And you grew last year that precious called a fairy tale pumpkin. So cute. Do you know the fairy tale pumpkin? Have you seen? I forget where I got the seeds. I got the seeds off Etsy, but it was so cute. It looked like Cinderella's carriage. Little carriage. Little green pumpkin. And I used it for my Thanksgiving oh, centerpiece. So Emma, see, give yourself credit. Well, the way that I did that is I put it, I 
dug a hole and put it in. Yeah, so that's, what, that's what <laughs> it that's takes. That's how you guard yeah. it. <laughs> See, you, you <laughs> already know that hole. Has your idea of slow living changed at all in the past two years? I don't think it has changed that much. I okay. think I've, I've stayed pretty true to it. The only thing is that when I was working full-time and parenting full-time, I remember thinking, wow, slow living is really hard <laughs> when you are yeah. this busy. Yeah. So I think I definitely have more compassion for people who are that busy Mm -hmm. and I see how hard it is to make a meal from scratch Mm. or to mend a sock and not just throw it out and buy a new one Mm -hmm. and to drive somewhere instead of walk somewhere. And I mean, you do what you can do and you have to just be graceful and forgive yourself. And I definitely had to do that. And then there was shopping online having groceries delivered and trying not to feel guilty about that. Yeah. You know, it's okay. I think slow living too is about having grace and being patient with yourself and just living in the moment and doing what you can. I also think one of the things I think I feel even more strongly about than I did before is that slow living is about creating space in your life, right? It's about clearing away the non-essential so you have time and energy and bandwidth for the things that you really love. And I think what the pandemic taught me is, I talk about the nervous system in your last podcast, but our nervous systems are so full right now. I think I don't even think most of us realize how full they are. Even when times are easier and our kids are back in school, we're still dealing with the stress in the last two years, because your nervous system's like a cup. And when mm-hmm. it's full, it's full. And there are only a few ways to get it to unfold, mm-hmm. to pour the stress out, you know, and it's not as easy as just like reading a book or listening to music. Like you really do have to cry and like work it out of your body. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's really important to like pamper yourself, to do things that really bring you so much joy. If watching a television show brings you joy, watch it every day. Yeah. (laughs) Listening to music, if eating this banana bread or whatever, like I think you should just pamper yourself. And to me, that's part of what slow living is. It is just really enjoying your life and treating yourself with things. And I think right now people are so full and I don't know how long that will last. I've always wondered like how much trauma people went through during this time and how it will impact their short-term and long-term health. Mm. Not just because of the COVID virus, but because of just the sort of issues you have from having stress, Mm. like really clear out space for yourself. Like I feel more strongly than ever that it's okay to pamper yourself. I'm Gen X. I feel like we were taught that, you know, watching too much television was lazy or Mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't know if that your generation's like that, but I feel like mine was, or just doing certain things is lazy. You know, I don't think it is necessarily. Right now we're doing the slow living challenge. Something that's come up a lot in conversation is people are noticing how addicted we are to productivity and how much we tire productivity to our worth. And I think that's a little bit of what you're saying, like yes, detaching from that idea. Like the reason why it's so hard to watch a show is because how is that productive? What are you doing with that time, you know, that you could be doing something else? It's kind of rewiring yeah. that. Or feeling bad about it. I mean, people, people are going to go to Netflix and go, oh, I shouldn't be doing this. And yeah. And then what does that do? That yeah. feeling in your body, even if you're enjoying it, but with that, I shouldn't be. Yeah, thing. this is not, yeah. It's not good. That's exactly what I mean. I grew up definitely feeling like watching television was a waste of time. It was passive. Mm-hmm. It was yeah. lazy. And, and I didn't watch for a very long time. And then during the pandemic, 
during December, I was like, I'm just going to watch a lot of movies. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I told myself I was going to do it. I allowed myself to do it and I enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I had this aha moment where I was like, that was really good for me because I didn't watch it in a passive way because I enjoyed it so much. I was like, this is really good writing. I want to watch another movie by this director. Yes. Yes. I want to really enjoy good writing. So I watched things in a very deliberate way. Yeah. And I felt really proud because I felt like for the first time I saw movies as art. Yes. Because there's so much art involved in the right. And also there's a lot of good stuff to watch now. I mean, there's a lot of artistic good writing being put out. Find a director you love and study them. Yeah. (laughs) Really. I mean, enjoy them. I started keeping a list of my favorite. This is so nerdy of my favorite directors and writers. And then I was like, I'm going to watch everything by them. And I felt like I was learning a lot, but it was also inspiring me to to write better and to write more stories. Mm. So I I started thinking on my Instagram, it would be so much more interesting if I wrote more in a story form Mm. or I haven't done that. I wasn't watching it in a way where I was just being a zombie. Mm -hmm. I was watching in a way where it was inspiring me. And I thought that's the kind of stuff that people need to do more and feel okay about. Mm-hmm. Yes. Totally. Or I need to do more, not people, but I should speak for myself. What were or have been some of your favorite like shows and things that really stand out to you or movies? I like good writing. Mm-hmm. So I like very chatty movies. Mm-hmm. They're character driven. And I love Noah Baumbach. Do you know him? Mm-mm. He wrote A Marriage Story. Oh yeah. You can watch that now. I, I love him. That was he's good. married to Greta Gerwig. Oh, who wrote Little her. Women, the newer version. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I think she's just so quirky and funny, but I yes. think her screenplays are very good too. Yes. Did you see Frances Ha? That was an older one that she did. I think she's so cute and quirky. I love yeah. it. And I like all the sort of Woody Allen yeah. movies and that whole genre of very cerebral, chatty, anxious New York. <laughs> oh my gosh. Have you seen The French Dispatch yet? It's no, the newest Wes Anderson movie. I actually went to a theater and saw it a few weeks ago, so it might not quite be out yet. But it's the newest Wes Anderson. It's called The French Dispatch, and it's based on The New Yorker. But if The New Yorker had a French dispatch, it's so fun because I love all things French, and I love Wes Anderson. It's really cute. I bet you would really like it. I go to the library a lot, but I always check out nonfiction. Mm -hmm. And so my other thing is I make myself read fiction now. Like, Mm -hmm. this is so pulpy. Look at this book, Malibu Rising. (laughs) But I shared that I'm reading it and everyone loves this book. I'm like the last one to read it. But I think reading fiction is another thing. It's not productive. You're not learning anything. Supposedly, you're not learning anything. But I think you're learning a lot. I think you're using the part of your brain that a lot of us don't live in so much. So I try to read. My daughter's a voracious reader. So I lie down with her at night. And instead of reading to her, because she doesn't need for me to, I read a book with her and I only read fiction. So that's a great idea. That's awesome. Malibu Rising. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if this will be something that's interesting to your type of audience, though. (laughs) Fiction's great. I mean, like like we were saying earlier, stories really do something to us. I think they elevate us, even if it's a sad story. I mean, and people love it. We need it. I think so. Julia, what does the good dirt mean to you? And you can answer that literally or metaphorically or just any way you want. I have so many ideas come up oh, when I hear it. Go I mean, for first, it. when I hear it, when you're talking about a podcast, it's like you're getting the dirt mm-hmm. on... Um, you know, what everybody's doing in the slow living, sustainable living community. So there's that. Yeah. 
And then there's obviously like the idea that dirt is actually good for you. I think I read and I wrote it in my book that one shovel full of rich organic dirt has more biodiversity than the entire Amazon rainforest. Yeah. So dirt is this incredible ecosystem of that's living and it's alive and we don't even think about it because it's below our feet. Mm -hmm. So there's that. And, you know, there's all that research that's come out over the past decade about how children who play outside and play in the dirt have a higher likelihood of having stronger immune systems, less likelihood of having allergies and asthma. But for me, I mean, that's like too scientific. When I think about dirt, and the reason why I garden is mostly for mental, emotional, I guess, even spiritual reasons. I think about when I'm in my kitchen in the summer and both of my kids are home and my dog's running around like crazy <laughs> and I'm feeling cagey, all I have to do is step out my back door and I'm in my garden and I just putz around and sometimes literally and digging in the dirt. And when I am, I feel so peaceful and calm and I feel like my true self, I can kind of let the stress of being in a house with a lot of people evaporate. And I feel like not to be too metaphysical, but like, I feel like I'm connected to something bigger and better than myself. And I always like myself better in the garden. So I think like the dirt is good in more ways than just being like really biodiverse and being good for our immune systems. It's also very good for us emotionally, spiritually, mentally. Yeah. It's just all around good for you just to be out there getting dirty. Yes. And using your body and being surrounded by natural noises and not artificial ones. Yeah. So. Thank you. Oh, such a good answer. <laughs> yes. I know you don't like grades, but you get A plus. <laughs> or you like grades too much. <laughs> I like A plus. Yeah. <laughs> I don't like I don't like the other grades. <laughs> My kids give me grades. I'll ask them, uh -uh. Like, how did I do today? My son gave me a 78 yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> Why did I bring that up? <laughs> he gives me low grades because I have, he has screen limits. And then until oh. that like, gets lifted, I'll never get an A. <laughs> <laughs> That's oh. hilarious. Oh, revenge. And also very brave of you to ask your children for grades. <laughs> Eloise is really generous. She always gives me a good grade. <laughs> she doesn't care about screen time. Benjamin's 13. He would oh, really wow. like more, I think. Yeah. Oh, good for you. <laughs> so how much is the screen time or the screen time limits? So I don't really let my kids uh, use screens during the week. Okay. I want them to just, just uh, stay focused on schoolwork. And then they're different for Benjamin and Eloise because they're different ages. And she just yeah. doesn't care. So I'm yeah. not going to give her that much. Yeah. We do movie night on Friday night. We watch a movie as a family. And um, on Saturdays, they get like a lot more yeah. than I'd like to, like two hours. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I'll give Benjamin three. Mm -hmm. That's it. Yeah. Wow. Not a lot. Wow. Yeah. I don't know. Amazing. Maybe that's a lot for some families, not a lot for others. Yeah. I mean, at this point now, I feel like they all have so much screens at school too. It's kind of like they're already getting screens during the week. And there are just so many types of screens. Like yeah. It's just like, yeah. it's. Uh, we don't actually have a television in our house, which I guess is kind of weird, <laughs> but I don't think it's that weird because we have iPad and yeah. a laptop and yeah, we have and iPhones. And yeah. So it, I don't think it's that weird anymore, but I just feel like there are too many things. There's yeah. just too many. It's so true. So. Well, this has been so fun. It has. I feel like we need to talk to you once a quarter. <laughs> just check in seasonally. I love talking <laughs> to you guys. You make podcasts 
seem not scary. <laughs> Yay! Oh, we have fun. Wrapping it up here, what would you like to tell the listeners about your book coming out and how they can follow you and all of those good things? So my book, Gardening for Everyone, comes out March 8th and you can pre-order it starting now. If you do pre-order it, there's a free printable garden planner on my website. So be sure to come to my website, which is www.simplylivingwell.com. Click on books, click on gardening for everyone, and then you can download the planner for free. It's very cute. The idea is that you put it in a three ring binder and you print it every year. And so you've got like a five or seven, eight year collection. And each year you can go back, look at your planner from the previous year, see what you did right, see what you did wrong, and sort of plan according to that. So it's like a a planner that you use in longevity. Oh my God, that's so I look forward to that. I can really use that. Oh, that's wonderful. That sounds so much fun. And you are simply living well on Instagram. Mm -hmm. Do you have a newsletter or anything? No, I don't do a newsletter. I do blog more frequently than I used to. Um, And I have Instagram and the books. And that's it. Okay. Thank you so much, Julia. Have a great rest of your day. Bye-bye. Bye, ladies. Thanks again, Julia. It was so much fun having you back on. Yes. And thank you for being here, Good Dirt listeners. We're here every Friday with an interview. And we'll be adding some fun new things throughout. So make sure you stay tuned. And if you're not already signed up for a newsletter, definitely do that. If you enjoyed this episode or any of our Good Dirt episodes, please consider sharing them with a friend. We really rely on word of mouth to get this good dirt spread around. It really means a lot to us. Thank you so much. Yeah, so everybody, go order Julia's new book. Oh, yeah, that too. Gardening for Everyone. And sign up for the Almanac. Yeah. (laughs) All right, we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.